You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. Big show, lots to talk about, but first, business. That's right. I am touring. I am gearing up to uh, tape my first hour, and um, I'm doing the hour. I'm running it before I tape, so if you want to come see what's going to end up out in the world, come, come see me now. April 28th and 29th, Sacramento at the Punchline, May 4th and 5th, Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live, May 19th and 20th in New York City at Gotham Comedy Club, June 1st through 3rd, Denver Comedy Works, the downtown location, and then June 16th and 17th, Man Fran Disco, Fan Francisco at the Punchline. Wonderful clubs. I'm really stoked to run my set. Um... And those in those clubs, those are like the hits, right? Good ones. And I know I'm missing a few cities, but ugh, we'll see. Uh, this is fun. I'm reading through a cracked iPhone screen. Good job. This is the first time I've ever cracked it. It's it's uh, it's such a nuisance, isn't it? Anyways, do your shopping using my Amazon banner, please. Uh, what that means is when you want to shop on Amazon, go to thatsteeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. It just kicks back a little change to the show. It just helps me out. There's a That's Deep Bro t-shirt now. You can get that at tomsegura.com on his merch page. Uh, what else? That's it. Okay, let's get into it, guys. Let's get deep on it.
that's Deep Bro. Thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for watching on YouTube. And um, I'm, the intro song, which I can never play on YouTube because it gets flagged in seconds. The robots find it. I played Lust for Life by Iggy Pop, which um, which is on the Lust for Life album, which is in train, well, train spotting. That's where the song is made famous or whatever. And um, I just saw train spotting too. And of course, I'm like obsessed with it now. But uh, I find it ironic that this song by Iggy Pop, which is really about anti-consumerism and a lust for life, meaning um, a lust for all the all the consumer goods that you all should want. I'm worth a million in prizes, right? It's ironic because I th- they use this song for a Volkswagen commercial. I remember a few years back and my head almost exploded and I laughed um, I laughed to myself because it's it's really an anti-consumerism song and VW was like, no, it's lust for life. Enjoy it. I think it's the same. I forget what politician tried to use um, Born in the USA for their campaign music, but Born in the USA was about a disgruntled veteran. <laughs> It's my it's my absolute favorite thing in life when people try to take stuff that's really genuine and really meaningful and co-opt it for shitty corporate use and it completely fails. It's my absolute favorite thing in life. Yeah. And that album by the way, the Iggy Pop, I mean, he's the cover of the album's fantastic cuz he's got the shit-eating grin, which if you know who Iggy Pop is, you know that that guy doesn't smile that way. So it's meant to be sarcastic sardonic right lust for life so anyway train spotting to fantastic i guys go see it if you like the first one i loved train spotting that is definitely um the movie of my generation i would say i would say i loved it I, I the second one stands alone if you haven't seen the first one you can go see the second one it was so um it was so fucking great and ironic too because you know that great speech that ewan mcgregor gives in the first one choose life Choose a fucking bank account. Choose game shows. Choose you know whatever. Uh, choose aerobics and and happy happy yoga classes and all that stuff. And and pretty much everything at the end of that movie that he says we should all be choosing is now the reality. And and he's got a whole new litany of crap. And really, what what slapped me in the face about watching Train Spotting too is um, is really the I think the the difference now in society where people are really were not so much into consumerism and conformity in the nineties. I mean, yeah, the eighties are pretty bad, but I feel like now people are really enjoying conformity. It's like, uh, it's like we all have to be on board with the same shit all the time. Otherwise you're a monster, right? Like if you're not a thousand percent down with every fucking, you know, transgender toilet issue or the non-binary or whatever, whatever it is, if you're not championing the, the PC cause at the minute, you're some kind of a demon monster. And, uh, it's really fucking weird now. It's really weird. And we all, there's no, um, I don't know who the anti-heroes are now. I'm trying to figure out like who who's cool. I mean, is it is it Taylor Swift? Is she the one telling us what's cool or <laughs> It's funny. I was watching this clip on Facebook of like Kristen Wiig and Zach Galifianakis and they were doing promo for some movie or whatever and uh, and he asked Kristen Wiig, "What boy band did you like growing up?" And she goes, "Duran Duran." <laughs> because the truth is there was no fucking boy bands 
back um, then. They didn't, nobody had found a way to commodify every fucking minute of your existence. There was no thing, we didn't like things that were tailored to our demographic uh, growing up in the 80s and the 90s because there was no such fucking thing. We just liked what adults liked and that's why we grew up a lot more, I think, jaded and a lot more cynical because uh, there was nothing tailored. There was there was no fucking Disney Channel and then 500 other channels of children-specific programming. There was like fucking three shows. There was like Sesame Street, Electric Company, The Great Space Coaster, Captain Kangaroo... Um, then the Smurfs, right? That was it. That was it. That's all children had for programming. Now there's 50,000 channels and, and there's an autistic character on Sesame Street because we all have to feel included. Everybody has to feel special and, um, and everyone has to be down for every fucking cause every minute. And, uh, which is fucking fine. I don't care if there's an autistic character on Sesame Street, but, uh, but the the absolute need to cater to every single m- marginalized group of individuals ever now, and if you don't do it, you're a piece of shit. You're a monster. You're a troll. You're this. You're that. Uh, it's it's bananas. And especially like um, we were watching Sesame Street this morning, and I love. There's this one song they play. It's like the three black girl dolls, and they're like they're singing about how how girls can change the world. It's like, she's going to change the world. She's going to do it. She's going to be what she wants to be. She's going to be a judge. She can be a doctor. She can be a lawyer. And, uh, and I turn to my husband and I go, that shit is blowing my mind because when I was growing up, dude, they didn't say that shit to girls. <laughs> there were no songs on Sesame street telling me I could be something other than secretary, uh, hairdresser, or Charlie's Angels. That was it. Those are the three things you could be as a girl growing up as a child in the 80s. There was no such thing as uh, you could be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, what? (laughs) Okay, you can be an astronaut. You can try. Uh, But we all know what happened to the first female astronaut, right? Krista McCullough, 1984, Challenger. Was it 84? Anyways, the first female astronaut fucking exploded into the sky. So that was a very direct message to girls. (laughs) You can try to be an astronaut, but you're probably going to die. Just stick to the secretary thing. (laughs) And I think I used to play secretary all the time. Like, can I take dictation, sir? Can I type? I played like, I played house. I played uh, secretary. Yeah. I played makeup, makeup artist lady those are acceptable female jobs growing up and it's it's really really funny now because people are way more conscious of the societal uh, factors that impact you unconsciously right now and I, that's the one wonderful thing about the internet is this uh, vigilance the hyper vigilance on like period shaming fat shaming um, this model's been airbrushed. She's not real. Like that, that hyper awareness now, which is really, really awesome. And I, I think is one of the, one of the positive aspects of the internet. Um, and then there's this other part of me that's so old school and it's like, you, you know what, dude, <laughs> just shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Shut, shut the fuck up and live your fucking life. And um, stop worrying about what society is telling you. Don't worry about the ads and the commercials. And you know what? 
shut the fuck up and move on with your life and ignore society. How's that? How's that for the real fucking message, which is just do what you want to do. Don't, don't worry about the man. Don't worry about uh, the company that's fat shaming you with their ads or who cares? Just do what you want to fucking do because my generation, we did not have any kind of positive uh, message. There was no positivity and we, you know what? Hey man, we're doing it. So you don't need the outside world to validate you. You don't need the, the, the ad companies to change. You don't need the white guys in the government uh, to change so that you can live your life. Fuck them. Fuck them all. Do what you want to do. That's what I'm doing. That's what I've been done doing. Choose life. Choose Facebook. Oh, I love their accents too. I love their accents. Oh, they did great callbacks to some bits and train spotting too. The dirty toilets of, of Edinburgh. Oh, it's so good. Edinburgh is beautiful too. I've been there once. I was there in the 90s and I drank the entire time and I slept on a park bench uh, with, a, with a friend of mine and uh, good time. Deep fried Twinkies, haggis, all the stuff. All that shit. Now, choose life. What else was I talking about? Oh, fuck. This is what I wanted to bring up, man. I had a real epiphany this week. Um, I do I do a lot of downloadable books. I do the Audible. I don't just plug them on this show mindlessly. I actually really do listen. I, I downloaded an audiobook called No More Perfect Moms, Learn to Love Your Real Life. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a Christian audiobook. So, you know, hey, I take wisdom where I can. I'm not, I'm not anti-Christian wisdom, but there is a time where I tap out when it's too Christian-y. There is, there is a time where I'm like, all right, I'm done. If you quote fucking Proverbs 5.11 one more time, uh, or if I have to hear about grace one more time, my head's going to explode. I went to Catholic school. I've got it. I'm, I'm all, I'm all Jesus out. All right. I get it. He was a good guy. And that's why I don't like this time of year. I don't like Easter so much just because I went to Catholic school and I remember Easter it's yes, it's about the bunnies. Actually, it's a pagan fertility holiday. Uh, we're celebrating fertility, and the Christians came along and they fucked it all up by turning it into a terrifying Jesus holiday. Now, if you went to Catholic school, you know that the blessed time of Easter, which should be nothing but chocolate, peeps, and Easter egg hunts for kids and fake grass and putting peeps in the microwave and watching them explode, uh, or sorry, just grow. That's what they do, they expand, and it's so rad. But the Catholics managed to take everything that is fun and then warp it into absolute and sheer terror for children because you know what happens at Easter. They don't just let you have the peeps and the chocolate and the eggs. No, no, no. They parade you through the stations of the cross. Oh, remember that crap? And this is where Jesus fell for the 50th time. And Mary Magdalene wiped the sweat from his brow. The whore Mary Magdalene, he took mercy on the whore. And then the Romans, they spiked the nails through Jesus's wrists, not his hands, his wrists to the cross. Because back then... Uh, that's the only way the body would stay on the cross is if they nailed it through the wrists. See, I know that little fact because I went to Catholic school and I had that explained to me. 
that the only way a body stays on a cross is if they do it by the wrist. Otherwise, the nail rips through the hand and the body falls off. So joyous details like that always uh, haunt me during Easter and rob me of any sort of frivolity and joy. Yeah, the stations and Jesus fell again. It's like Jesus can't get his shit together for 12 stations or whatever the fuck it is. He's Jesus. He's the son of God. He can't lift a cross. He can't do this. And I never understood how this guy dying redeems my sins. I never understood. Wait, wait the fuck. What are you fucking talking about? What are you talking about? And if God is love and all awesome, and why would he send his son here, his only begotten son, to be tortured and abused by us shitty humans and then we kill him and then he dies for the sins of us and it, I don't understand. I don't understand. I like it. I like the metaphor. I think it's very useful and helpful to some people but the the absolute, the logic of it, I never, never understood and I really never understood as a small child how the suffering Christ, the guy, the bloody guy with his legs, the feet nailed together, the hands on the crowd, the blood, the, the thorns with the blood in his eyes and everything like that. That guy likes you. He loves you. That's the symbol of love and forgiveness. The suffering Christ. I didn't like that, but I did like the hot Jesus. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, the Jesus that had like blue eyes and long flowing brown hair and i think a kind of a, yeah like a beard goatee beard a beard a full beard and uh and he was fine as hell now that jesus you could put in the classroom all day you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay that jesus was fun that's the jesus that would play acoustic guitar and sing you some songs he would sing uh, puff the magic dragon and then afterwards you could hacky sack with him and that's the Jesus of my life that I'd prefer to have, not the suffering one. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, I'll take high Jesus any day over uh, Easter Jesus. No, thank you, Easter Jesus. No. But anyways, so moving along. I downloaded this book, this audio book that was religious in nature. So I tapped out by chapter five. But uh, let me see what I had written down. I had some really, really inspiring thoughts on this for you guys. Inspiring to me. <laughs> So, yes. Okay, so I struggle with perfectionism, and I don't really call it that in my brain. Um, in my brain, I call it just doing the best I can. It's because I, I don't know. I feel like uh, I live on this planet for a finite amount of time, and I don't have time to fuck around, to live an unexamined life. I don't have time to... Um, mediocre this shit because I don't believe in doing anything mediocre. I know that's not true. I do think I exercise mediocrely. I would say I put forth a minimal effort um, most of the time, most of the time. And I think my trainer knows that, but whatever I pay to, uh, to do a mediocre job. So it's my, my problem. Um, But I try to do well and only because if I think I'm going to spend my time doing something, I want to do it well. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to regret, right? I don't, I don't want to feel like later on my deathbed, like, I, oh, I should have been a better mother. I think that to me is the biggest one. So I really struggle with perfectionism in motherhood. And um, again, I don't tell myself, I, I don't go like, hey, I got to do this perfectly with my son. I just go, 
gosh, I'd really like to have this for him. You know what I mean? Like I really want his life to be different than this thing I did growing up or whatever. I want him to have a special moment or, and so, but I, in doing that, I realized that like, um, you know, it's actually like two thoughts going, it's an, it's, it wears me the fuck down basically. Cause what happens is I'm with my kid, let's say it's anxiety I'm dealing with. And, uh, and the kid is doing something or whatever, and you have the anxiousness of being a mom, or I have the anxiousness of being a mom already, and then something happens, like let's say he barfs, and I have a thing with barfing. We all know I have a serious problem with barfing. <laughs> I don't like barfing. So, But in my mind, I'm going, all right, well, how you react will determine how he reacts to barfing, and you don't want to give him your hang-up about barfing. So in the moment, I always have to like correct my thinking, right? And so it's like that double thinking that is so exhausting for me. Um, cause I don't want to be on autopilot cause my autopilot sucks. My default is not healthy. So I have to, <laughs> my default thoughts are not good. They're not healthy. So I have to actively correct them so that I don't give my neuroses to that guy. Right now, is he going to get other neuroses? Yeah. He's just going to get a different back. So this is why it's kind of futile in some regards because he's just going to pick up his other neuroses. He's not going to get mine. He's going to get his own special bag and it'll be my fault ultimately too. So I'm fucked either way. But so yeah, so I try to combat that, um, the anxiety mixed with the double thinking, overthinking of what I'm doing all the time. Cause I don't want to give him my problems and blah, blah, blah. So I downloaded this book on, um, not being a perfect mom. And here's the lesson. It's not just about parenthood. So I know if you don't have a kid, don't worry. So this applies to you as well. The idea this woman says in this book, Jill Savage is her name who wrote it. So if if it's, it's, it's useful, like I said, up until the Jesus stuff really kicked in and I tapped out, Jill Savage wrote this. She has like five kids and she's, a, you know, obviously a Christian lady, but, um, she brings up a really good point. Um, a lot of the perfectionism is a result of not accepting what's reality, right? So there's reality and then there's the presentation of reality, which we talk about on the show quite a bit because with social media and with looking at other people, you wonder what the fuck is wrong with my life because so-and-so seems to have their game totally together and my game is not together. So this woman says... Don't ever compare your insides to somebody's outsides. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is, which is, I, you know, and you know when you say somebody says something to you and it kind of clicks in your brain the right way? What that means is, is that everybody has a dog shit sandwich that they're eating. Everybody. Every, no, nobody is exempt from um, a shit salad, basically. Especially if you do have kids. Like, you know that people take these ideal pictures with their families. And I think that's what I struggle with. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, that lady is doing leg lifts and she has a newborn on the floor. And then there's a toddler running around her and she's smiling and doing leg lifts. Like, is this real or is this an image? And I think, and then what this book posits is that that is a, an image because minutes after that photo is snapped, you don't know what she's really doing she could be like oh fuck thank you god that's over like i'm gonna now i'm gonna go eat that macaroni and cheese that's on the grill on the on the stove and now i'm gonna fucking take a nap like i'm so tired these kids are running me ragged um 
And so we have to understand that. But I think for me, that was really interesting in this book is that people, everyone has this shit sandwich, right? Like everyone has ugliness and pasts and conflict and messy kitchens and dirty toilets, everybody. Um, but it's the level of your, I would say, concern with appearances, right? Like some people really appear to have their shit together. And I think it's because they're really way more concerned with outward appearances, right? Like you see those moms, dude, who are like, you know, hair fucking curled, perfect. They're wearing their Louboutins. Um, they're, <laughs> they're perfect, they're together. The kids have perfect lunches or whatever. And you're like, dude, I can barely like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you like 1 PM, 1 PM rolls around and I'm still in my pajamas and it's covered in oatmeal. And, um, I don't, I'm not even wearing a bra and, uh, you know, th- there's food all over me from the kid. There's snot. There's the kids taking a shit on me. Like it's, it's not clean. And I always think like, well, where's, those pictures of people. (laughs) So it really, and it's a different way of looking at those types of folks as you go like, oh, they're, it's not that their lives are any more together necessarily. It's just that their preoccupation with presenting an image of perfection is just their need for that is greater than my need for that presentation, right? Because there is no perfection. There is no perfect family or perfect relationship or perfect job or perfect anything. So it really is. I mean, when you think about it that way, and I'm not condemning anybody that puts forward the perfect image. And I mean, that's just your choice. Like you're, I think people are choosing to be like, nope, everything's great. Here it is. Here's my hair. It's perfectly done. And here's the outfit. And here's the Here's my perfect family and world and everything's great. See guys, take the picture. Okay. And then when they take the picture afterwards, everyone exhales and then they go back to their shit show. So I think we all have to keep that in mind. And for, for me, that was like, oh yeah. Oh, it's just a preoccupation with appearing normal is what, what everyone is showing you. And especially like, you know, on, um, on the internet, it's, it's really insidious because you're like, dude, no one's. No one's showing you the the real side of the force. I mean, there there are days where I try to post a photograph of my life. Like, there was one Sunday where I was sitting on a fucking lawn chair in my kitchen, which is what I do. I put a lawn chair on the kitchen floor, and I sit in my pajamas, and like Al Bundy, I fucking just watch my kid uh, throw spatulas around, you know. I throw some water in a pail and I just let them splash for hours. And like, that, that's my parenting for the day. That's how it goes. And I try to take selfies of that. And I'm like, nah, I look like such shit. Like I'll take five different pictures and I'm like, there's no hiding these eye bags. Like I can't post this. This is not, <laughs> this is not, I look like shit. I, I look like too much shit is what I'm saying. I'll post something where I look like shit, but not that much hot shit. So there you go. I just thought that was fucking mind blowing. Cause I, you know, yeah, nobody's got it down. They're just fucking faking it. They're faking it, uh, to you so that you think they have it down. It's a game. It's all an evil, not an evil game, but it's a mind fuck of a game. That's for sure. So there you go. So if you think you're not doing it right, cause somebody else is, trust me, they ain't doing their shit right either. We're all trying to get our lives. It's, it's a process getting your life. It's not like you get your life and then it's gotten for good. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you get your life, you slip up, there's an area that needs to get tinkered and then you get that part and then you're back on track. But it's, it's a process getting your life. It's constant work, constant fucking work. God damn it. Okay. Um, let's do some emails. You want to know why you're all fucked up? There we go. And there's our theme song getting into them. I'd like to read an email. Um, last week we talked about a miserable job. And it's, that seems to be in the ethers right now. I have a lot of people emailing me about miserable jobs. I have a friend dealing with a miserable job right now. And uh, this gentleman, gentleman, sent in an email encouraging uh, uh, this last woman who wrote in. He wrote, I'm writing you in response to the young lady on episode 117 who hates her job and feels she won't find another. I was in a similar, similar, what the fuck, similar situation at a job I hated for almost eight years. It was soul sucking, no room for advancement, and as time went on, they made cuts, etc. I found out my first day the company filed for bankruptcy. The attitude was, you're lucky you have this job and they were doing you a favor. It seemed like no matter how hard I tried to get a new job, multiple interviews, I couldn't get away from there. I had to take a second job in order to keep afloat since they stopped all wage increases. The entire time I worked there, I barely made it paycheck to paycheck. There was always chaos and uneasiness and uncertainty surrounding the business. My creativity and input was casted down, unheard, and an archaic system against progress. I became extremely depressed, gave up hope many a time, and wound up seeking professional help and medication. Dear, do you hear this, by the way? This poor guy suffered for eight years and ended up seeking professional help and medication for a job. Do you hear that? For a J-O-B. Not, 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 not a career, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like... If he said this is the career, this is the, even if he did say that, actually, I'd be like, no, 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 boo boo. No, 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 boo boo. No, 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 boo boo. Would you give all this, your health, your mental wellness, your, your stability, your sanity to a boss, to a job? I hope not. You better get your life because you're way more important than the fucking job. Your, your sanity is more important. Trust me. So, anyways, let's go on. Okay, the, the point is he got laid off and he writes that week and the weeks following, okay, he got, okay, he got laid off anyways. He, it, I relaxed, made daily fitness, day trips to places I've been wanting to go, and planned out my course of what I wanted out of life. As Uncle Joey said, write down your goals and wash your pussy daily. Excellent advice. I took time for self-reflection, Kept my second part-time job to stay busy. Also reached out and networked and gathered resources of friends, family, and colleagues along the way who helped me. I spent time with many different walks of life, and it helped me along the way. I traveled a bit across the country, applied for jobs that I see fit, that I saw fit, took my time looking, and, and was enjoying my life again. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay, so... This guy writes, and, and, and here's an interesting way of looking at it. I really like what this guy did. So he said that he had a part-time job in addition to the full-time job. So what he did is he eliminated the full-time job, or rather it was eliminated for him. And in that part-time job time, 
He did all this traveling, experimenting, looking, asking, and seeing. That's a wonderful strategy. If you're listening to this and you're stuck in a full-time nightmare and you see no way out and you're thinking, but I don't have a career to go, I don't have the ideal thing to land into, you don't need the ideal thing. You just need a thing. You just need the paycheck, okay? So find a part-time gig in the meantime that you're okay with. Work enough hours to, to just keep a roof over your head and, and so you can create some space to fucking get your life because that's what, that's what antidepressants are, right? Like you freak out, you go see a shrink and they go, here, take this Zoloft for a while. This will lift the cloud. You just need to lift the cloud so that you can create space in your mind for the next step. And that's really hard to do when you're in a situation that you're suffering in all the time. You can't think if you're under constant stress and you're going to make bad decisions. So this is what this guy writes, and I really like this. My advice for this girl from the nine months I was laid off, LinkedIn is helpful for looking for jobs as well as a place called Glassdoor and ZipRecruiter. Enter promo code HAPPY. <laughs> you can set up email or, or the phone app notifications in your area or areas you're interested in finding a job. You can set them up based on your field or career choice. It does most of the work finding them. The time-consuming process is applying. Also, find someone who knows a lot about resumes and tighten that bitch up. There's thousands of jobs out there, but don't link fuck all the time. Find young professionals, fitness or activity groups in her area. Get involved. Hanging out with others gets the workout quicker. That's true, fitness and activity. One afternoon of beers and networking led me to a job I've always wanted. Did you hear that? Or find your passion, do it after work, weekends, and start online business. Start an online business. That's a good idea. Work it out over a matter of time will grow, could lead to success and happiness. Yeah, if you've got a passion that you really are like, I got to do this business, the best way to get your life is to get a fucking part-time job or a nine-to-five job that you can clock out of emotionally and physically. So five o'clock, you're out the fucking door. By six o'clock, you're home, you're eating your dinner, and you're working on your side bitch project. That's a great piece of advice. So thank you. Thank you, son, for writing. I don't know what your name is, Frank, for writing. And I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. So yeah, what happened to just fucking talking to people, right? Networking. That's so true. Uh, In this business too, anything I've ever gotten traditionally has been through just knowing people, which is really interesting. Interesting. Okay. (coughs) This one I thought was pretty fascinating too. This came in from a gentleman, a gentleman named Mark. He's 23. He graduated college last August with a bachelor's degree. Congratulations. While I was in school, I interned with an engineering company and they hired me full time as soon as I graduated. I have a girlfriend of four years and when she graduates school, I hope to move in together and I would like to marry her someday. My question to you is, is it possible that I got my life too soon? Is there anything to fucking off for a little while in your late teens slash early 20s? I never went crazy with girls or relationships. I've had a couple girlfriends. My current girlfriend is the first and only person I've had sex with. I had some dumb jobs in high school, but since college, I've been a full-time engineer working at a desk for the most part of 45 hours a week. 
That's not bad. I haven't really given myself any time to slum it out in my early adulthood. It's not like I don't understand struggle. My family was homeless a few times when I was younger, so I understand the value of having a consistent income. The reason I email you is not because I'm unhappy with my life. It's more that I'm self-conscious about it. I'm happy... Excuse me, I love my girlfriend and I'm not necessarily stoked to come to work every day, but I'm thankful for the income. I'm self-conscious about where my life is heading because all the time through life and listening to podcasts, I hear that you're not supposed to know what the fuck you're doing when you're my age. And you should ignore money and just find something that you love and pursue it. Also, a couple of my bosses here got divorces, so they say, so they, along with society, are like, don't marry young. You'll get divorced. Divorces suck. That scares me because I really love my girlfriend. And in our four years, we've learned a lot about each other and ourselves. But obviously, the people who eventually split once loved their significant others. They probably wouldn't get married otherwise. So what happens between being in love and getting married and divorcing and hating each other? I'm happy with my life, but I find myself cautiously waiting for it all to blow up in my face. I don't want to look back on my life with regret. Is there something that I'm not seeing because I'm young and stupid or do you think I'm okay? Oh boy, Mark, this is such a fascinating email. Um, fascinating. Okay. So here's the deal, Mark. Is it too, are you, is it possible uh, to get your life too soon? It is. But in your case, it isn't. I don't think so. And here's why. Now, the reason we say these things, us people and podcasts in the world, you, know, you got to find your passion. You got to try all this stuff out. You got to figure it out. It's only for people who haven't had enough life experience to know what they want, to kind of test things and figure out who they are. And it's also because people like us don't want to have regret. Um, and so you look back at your life and you just make sure like, did I check off these boxes? Okay. And I, when I was in my twenties, I would, I would actually say to myself, Hey, numb nuts, what you're about to do, is this something that you're going to regret is staying in this job, something that you're going to regret when you're 80 and on your deathbed. And if the answer was yes, then I'd get the fuck out of there. Any relationship, any situation I was in, I would always say to myself, my older self, this is something you would regret. And so that's why us people, people like us tell 20-year-olds to do that stuff. It's just that you don't kind of settle. You don't settle out of fear. You don't settle out of anxiety. You don't settle and then lock into a life that you don't like. And by lock into a life you don't like, I am saying... Maybe you work somewhere you don't like, but you're doing it for the paycheck. Maybe you marry a girl you don't necessarily love, but there's the girl. Maybe you have kids when you're not necessarily ready for kids, and now you're locked into that, and now you got a mortgage, and now you got the kids, and now it's too late to start the comedy career, the music career, the art career, because now you're locked into adult responsibilities at a young age, and you got it. Now you really have to go to that fucking day job. And now you're, you're, you know, 50 and you're fucking death of a salesman and you want to blow your brains out. That's the life that we're cautioning against is an unconscious, unexamined, uh, depressing, typical American life. That's what we're saying. Okay. Now here's why I'm thinking that you kind of do have your shit together because there are situations. Now that's the general rule. That's why we say that stuff. That's for most kids. 
And then there are people who have extraordinary circumstances. People who have seen some shit. People who have experienced some shit. And if you got a lot of life experience and you've been done there, uh, you don't need to do all this hard knocks lesson crap because you've already fucking done it. And my inclination tells me, boo-boo, your family was homeless and you write a few times? Okay, I think you've seen some shit. And I think it sounds to me like stability is something that you really need and want so that you can have a sense of family and money and security and home because boo-boo, being homeless is no small thing. It sucks. And I, I mean, fuck, I, <laughs> I can't even imagine having to go through that as, as a kid because that formed you, right? That, that stuff was very, I'm assuming, traumatic and shitty and you want your life and you want to have a joy. And it sounds like you found somebody. You say you're very happy with your girl. So marry her and get your life. I don't think you're one of these people. And if you wrote to me and you were like, you know, I haven't seen anything. I haven't done anything. Uh, this girl, I kind of like her, but I'm not really into it. I, I don't really have a degree. I haven't done it. You know, um, you like your job well enough. It doesn't sound like you're suffering like the guy before who wrote in, right? Or the woman on episode 117. <laughs> so it sounds like you've gotten your life and you shouldn't feel bad about that. And I know you're a little like, well, wait a minute. You guys are always saying that we should be confused and conflicted and da-da-da-da-da-da. That's what's called like a broad rule. And then there are exceptions. And you, my friend, are the exception, I believe. And by the way, there are people that get their lives. They meet the love of their life when they are 15, 13 years old, and they stay married for years. I know a couple that met in high school. Yeah, they're 15 they're 40 and they're still together and they're happier than shit. So, and, and they had kids early. They did everything early and it, it's fine. It doesn't, it's, it really depends on the person. So don't let the general rules kind of uh, get in your head about what you shouldn't should. And I know, and I know, sorry, that's, that's us saying our mantra. And, and you know why people don't marry young, you'll get divorced, divorce to suck that whole mantra too. I think there is some validity to that as well. So there are people who, who meet as teenagers and they fall in love and they're soulmates and everything's great and that's luck. And then when you meet somebody and you're um, immature, okay, but it sounds like you're actually very mature for a 23-year-old. I mean, you're, you're a professional already. Jesus Christ, you're very mature. And there are boys who are 23, you're actually as mature as 33-year-olds. So you're not an average 23-year-old. Um, but the reason a lot of average people tell you don't marry young is because most of us are fucking retarded at 23, okay? I was so stupid at 23, and thank God I didn't marry the dude I was dating at 23. Are you kidding me? It'd be terrible. I'd be sleeping on a futon, listening to Nine Inch Nails, oh, eating burritos, the point is, the reason these people fucking say that to you is because most people don't get their lives that early. And it's a general blanket rule. And I think what happens in between liking each other and divorce, I'm assuming, is you know if you get married too young and you grow, because you grow in your 20s, you grow in your 30s, you turn into a human. And if that other person doesn't evolve with you or grow with you, then you fall apart. You kind of drift apart, I'm assuming, I think is what's happening. So it's important in a relationship to kind of 
stay uh, cognizant of the other, to stay aware, to give a shit. I think a lot of people stop giving a shit about maintaining the relationship. That's another one. People get lazy. People get tired. People get exhausted from children. It's really easy to neglect your partner. It's really fucking, you can really get there, especially with sex. A lot of women, once they have kids, the last thing you want to do is have sex because you're vag is blasted and you've got a baby and all this stuff and you're tired and but you got to do it man you got to do it you got to fucking do it um so there that that is what happens and don't listen to these fucking losers by the way a couple of your bosses here got divorces don't listen to your fucking bosses by the way because these guys sound like goddamn losers don't listen to old older people don't always know i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about this show has never been like i'm the authority on fucking anything this is just Uh, One person, my experiences, I'm just sharing some shit, talking shit. That's all it is, dude. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just getting my life day by day. So just because these motherfuckers are older and they got nicer cars than you and their khakis are pressed harder and, uh, you know, they're they're, whatever. They got a nicer uh, uh, window office. doesn't mean shit. And here's what I learned. Uh, Older people, we don't know what the fuck we're doing either. So... I know more fucked up 40-year-olds than I do 20-year-olds. It's just that we're stupider because we make the same mistakes over and over. If you're fucking 60 and you're still making the same mistakes over and over, you're even dumber than the 20-year-old who doesn't know any better. And that's unfortunately what happens. You just see a lot of people grow up and then now they're fucking 60, 70, 80 and they're doing the same shit they were doing in their 20s, never evolving. That's the problem. So there you go, boo-boos. You can get your life. You should be very thankful that you have the clarity to know what you want at 23. And if you do know, I mean, shit, enjoy that. That's fucking clarity, dude. That's wonderful. 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 Okay. Okay. What am I talking about now? <coughs> oh, and promiscuity. And by the way, you mentioned like, I ha- I've only been with one woman. Is that a thing? You know, and I do advocate people having many experiences. I never did. The only reason I, I am not, I was never promiscuous. And again, that's a general blanket thing. For most people, that seems to be what works. I personally, I couldn't handle it emotionally. I could not fucking just bang dudes, even though everyone was like, it's cool. It's whatever. I, I don't care for me. I just could not do it. So you have to understand that's the, they're general terms. Half of the time I'm joking when I tell people to go fuck Puerto Rican dudes, but it's only because I can't. I, not, not that I can't because I'm married, but I can't emotionally. Even if I were single, I could not be that part. I just can't. I've always been a monogamist. I like it. I like one dick at a time. One dick at a time, Lord. That's all I can handle. One dick at a time, Lord. One dick at a time. <laughs> I can't do it. It's too stressful to have multiple uh, dicks rotating. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how they juggle multiple. I I mean, I I just, it's gross. I I think it's disgusting. Okay. But if you do it good, then you should. And you know, this is, you do do it before you get married. But it's okay to have one partner. It really is. It's totally fine. I don't know what the big to-do is about multiple, whatever. And by the way, marriage is not only, and happiness in life in the long run, it's not about sex. Surprise. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, The majority of your happiness and fulfillment in a marriage in life long term is not found with your genitals. What? Yeah. Guess what? And sex is in the mind too, by the way. Um, 
it's mostly mental. It's, it's, a, it's a mind game. Sex, everything is a fucking mind game. Everything is a mind game. Okay. So this one came in um, from a gentleman named Ron. Dear Mommy Tina, Ron here, first time writer. My weight has been out of control. For years I've been trying to lose weight, but all I've managed to do is keep it under 250. I really want to slim down. I run four times a week for about an hour. Holy cow. I think my biggest problem is my diet. I'm interested in both the ketogenic and primal diet, but want to learn more about them. I suck at research, so I want to know if you or Tom have any uh, sites or books you could recommend for me. Thanks, water and personality. Ron, you know, let me tell you. I, uh, I've only struggled with my weight in the last two decades. <laughs> uh, and even so, like I, when I say I struggle with my weight, I was maybe in my 30s, 10 pounds over what I should have been. And then uh, when I, I, I'll just tell you my numbers, who gives a shit. I delivered Ellis. I weighed in at 208. <sighs> and now I'm down to 144. Which is for me, I'm five seven, a pretty good number. I'm I'm comfortable there, um, but that number, by the way, that's the lowest I've been in like a decade, which is bad. I should have been under that to begin with, whatever. But here's the point: is that I've just gone through a weight loss thing my, myself because you know you have a baby, and yeah, twenty pounds of that is baby, and then the rest of it is fucking lard. Um, and here's what I've here's what I've learned is that. I mean, yeah, I do that primal nonsense, which is no carb, no sugar, no fun, no alcohol. Uh, I stick to high fat proteins and I get carbohydrate from vegetable. It's miserable. It's, uh, but here's what it's taught me is that the weight loss game is a mind game, right? Like everything else, what I was just saying, it's, it's you versus you, bro. It's not really about the food. It's not even... It's, it's not about that. It's your attachment to food, at least for me. Okay, this is what I was doing is putting way too much value on the comfort that food brings. You know, I think I was using food as, um, as like just love and nourishment and, and emotional stuff. And it just, it isn't. And when there, there really is no secret. I personally, I think it doesn't even fucking matter what diet you're on because you can still be fucking fat and eat that primal diet because you're eating too much. The, the only, the really, the, the secret that I've found is stop eating so much. There you go. Stop eating a lot. Even the, even the exercise part, truthfully, like, yeah, it helps. It definitely, it definitely helps, right? Like you should move around a lot more than you do. But the reality is you can jog four times a week like you're doing and then you eat and you blow it with the eating. So it's really more, I think, about the eating. And what I found is the time that you're eating. For me, I got to go small on dinner. Now, there's this great book I read called French Women Don't Get Fat. <coughs> and I, it made so much sense to me. Uh, here's what the book says. And here's kind of, I'm doing that in addition to the primal. And, and it's, it doesn't, you don't have to be a woman to fucking do it, but... Basically, here's what they, this woman says the French do, is that, yes, they enjoy chocolates and pastries and wine, but you do it in moderation, so you don't eat the whole fucking candy bar. You take 
Three bites. Three bites of something is not going to make you fat. Three bites is enough to enjoy the flavor. It's enough to enjoy the experience of something because that's really what you're buying into, right? It's like advertising. You're buying Coke and a smile. You're not buying a brown bubbly liquid. You're buying the promise of joy. You're buying the promise of getting laid, of holding balloons, of doing cartwheels on the beach. That is what Coca-Cola has promised you. And that is what that candy bar is promising you. That is what that pizza is promising you. It's not the actual taste of the thing. You're thinking that that pizza, that chocolate bar, that whatever it is, is going to bring you contentment, love, joy, fulfillment, whatever stuff you've invested into that pizza That's what you think you're getting. And the reality is, no, you're getting fatter, you're getting misery, you're getting suffering. So here's what the French ladies say. If you enjoy your little treats, because you're a human and you have to enjoy your treats. Now what I do, I go down to Whole Foods and I get the primal chocolate. So that if I even fall off the wagon, I do like the primal friendly fall off the wagon. So first of all, go through your fucking pantry right now, throw out all that dog shit that you're eating that's making you fat. Throw out the crackers, throw out the cookies, fucking put it in the trash. If you don't have it in the house, you're not going to eat it. Throw the fucking bread away. Get it out. Pasta, out, 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 out. Go down to Whole Foods, stock it with better options. Get your primal chocolates, get your vegan asshole sniff cookies, whatever, you know, friendly, healthier version of the bad thing, okay? So when you do fall off the wagon, it's not, you're not going to fall so far. Number two, this is what the French ladies do. They say, so if you're going to have wine at dinner and a little bit of bread, because you're only going to do a little bit, right? Americans have to go overboard. That's the problem. Americans stress themselves out. We, We work 50 hours, 60 hours a week. And then on the weekend, what do you do? You binge on your alcohol and you sit around and you watch Netflix in your pajamas because you're so fucking exhausted from your shitty work week. So you're not going to do that. You're going to live a balanced life so you don't binge. You don't feel the need to overcompensate. You're going to get your healthy treats. And then if you do have your wine or your whatever it is at dinner, then guess what? At breakfast, you're just going to rein it in because you're doing the math. You know, all right, I kind of fell off. You can fall off. And then the next day, you rein it in. You go, well, for breakfast, I'm going to be sensible. I'm going to have my egg. I'm going to have a little bakey. But I'm not going to have toast. I'm not going to have fucking waffles or whatever. You know, rein it in. So you're doing the math of, of balance. You're doing the math of what makes sense. And you don't eat until you're stuffed. You don't, you eat so much more than you need. And that's what I've learned on this is like, I was eating way more than I ever needed. You really don't need that much. You eat a little, you eat until you feel satiated and then fucking stop eating. Stop it. Stop. And then also here's a big one that I learned from this book. This is probably the most important. This has helped me tremendously. Americans eat the biggest meal of the day at dinner right? We sit down and you have your heavy fucking steak and your loaded jacket potatoes and the corn and you have, then you have your apple cobbler for dessert and you do your alcohol and you do all the sins at night. Now the French say anything you eat at night is going to stick to your body. Why? Because you're going to eat all that fucking food and then you're going to lay down and you're going to let sleep. You're not burning it off. So if you're going to do the crime, if you're going to sin with your food, do it early in the day. That's why I blow it out at the beginning of the day. I usually do a big breakfast. I do big, I do bacon, I do eggs, I do um, avocado. You see, you know, look at Joe Rogan's Instagram feed. He blows out his breakfast. He blows out that nice first meal, right? 
lot of uh, protein and veggies. You load up cheese. Yeah, you eat the full fat stuff so that you're you're fuller longer. You don't eat as much. And then throughout the day, I eat a little bit less, a little bit less. And then by dinner, maybe it's a bowl of soup, small. And that to me makes or blow out lunch. Blow out lunch. Eat your fucking cheeseburger at lunch. But then for dinner, rain it in, bro. Then you do a little bowl of soup. You do something soup of veggies with meat with something light. And then you go to bed light. That's the whole key. For me, that was the big secret is that I don't even, I don't, I don't fuck with dinner. I have a very reasonable small thing and then no alcohol. Sorry, guys. Can't lose weight. We were drinking. If you do drink, you got to run. You got to run even more. And you really got to run. You can walk an hour a day. And you each, if you, you don't need to fucking run. And that's another thing too. Uh, this horse shit that you got to punish yourself. You got to run. You got to, no, you don't walk, walk an hour a day, watch your diet. Don't eat like a pig. If you're going to be a pig, to be a pig in the first part of the day. And that's fucking it. Okay. You can have food. You can, and stop worshiping food. That's another one. Stop it. Stop worshiping at the altar and don't drink fucking soda. Go throw that shit out. Get rid of it. Don't, you don't need the sugar. The sugar is the killer. That's the worst one. Sugar, pasta, carbs. I mean, I, I, we ordered uh, Italian food. Tom and I are having, we have a cold, so we were, oh, I want Italian food. I ordered eggplant parmigiana, which is more or less on the diet, right? It's what, vegetable, cheese, tomato sauce. Fucking threw out all the dirty pasta that comes with it. That is nasty. Empty carbs. It ends up like blubber on your fucking thighs. You don't even need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. And yes, exercise, but do something pleasant. If you don't like to run, don't fucking run. I hate running. I have huge tits. I have quadruple D tits. Do you think I like running? No, because I've had huge tits since I was 12. I've been wearing a fucking harness bra since I was, you know, a 12-year-old girl. So I don't run. I don't run. I walk. I walk. I walk. I walk. I walk. I swim. I love to swim. I do my Pilates twice a week. And that's it. There's no need to fucking stress. But it's a head game, bro. Also, I would, I would uh, recommend a book by Marianne Williamson called A Course in Weight Loss. And she talks about this worshiping of food and, um, and how to get your mind right. Because it's a mind game, weight loss. It's not even about the fat. This is you torturing yourself. Why are you fucking fat? Why, Why do you not believe that you're uh, worth being attractive? That's another one. We, we pat our bodies with fat because we don't think we're, we're, we don't want to be seen. You want to be uh, protected by the blower. And that's some fucking truth. That's for sure. And I know for a fact that I was patting my body because I was traveling across the country like a lunatic doing stand-up and, and, and just doing and doing it. And, and, and it was not good for me. So... There you go, Ron. And I hope you, you get your life with this stuff because it is misery being fat. I didn't like it, boy. When I delivered Ellis and I was, I was fucking big. I mean, I'd never been that fat in my life. And I was like, this sucks. I, don't, I can't do it. I cannot do this. I can't stay this way. I can't. It's, it's absolute torture. I don't like the way I looked in clothes. I didn't like the way I looked naked. I mean, ugh, it's not worth it. And also, too, I think a lot of people get negative around weight loss in terms of how they motivate themselves, right? Because we hate ourselves. That's why we're fat. You hate yourself, and then you keep telling yourself what a piece of shit you are. Why don't you want to, you know, you should be able to do this, Ron, you fucking fuckbag. Why aren't you fucking skinny, Ron, right? We do this to ourselves. And the negative motivation, it doesn't work because what happens, you beat yourself up, and then you go ahead and you eat the pizza and then you go to, you know, go, you get off the wagon even further and you keep doing the shame spiral, right? 
it doesn't work. Think of the positive motivation. That's what I did. I I would always think of the gene size I wanted to be next and how good that would feel. And also, by the way, I am maniacal about uh, weighing myself. And I know a lot. Of, some people say you shouldn't do it every day. Some people say you should do it once a week. For me, I have to do it every morning at the same time, not to flog myself, but just to go, oh, okay, I can't do what I did yesterday. That wasn't good for me because I, I ate that thing too late in the day. I'll eat the bad thing, but I'll eat it earlier tomorrow or whatever it is I did. Keep a vigilant eye on it. Be rational. Don't attach emotion to it. It's not an, you know what I mean? The weight loss rather. Uh, but positive motivation is I want to wear the outfit that I haven't worn in 10 years. Positive motivation is I want to wear a bathing suit and not feel like a fucking walrus. Positive motivation is I want to live to see my kid graduate college and have children of his own. Because that really was my thing too, is I don't want to be a fat mom. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, I don't even know how people have time to eat when they have a toddler. I, I'm running, running around all day, every day chasing this kid. I don't know how bitches stay fat. Seriously, if you're fucking staying fat... How, do, how are you saying fucking fat? I don't even have time to eat. God damn it. It's like nature's uh, diet. You pump out the kid and then you're up all hours and you're chasing it. There's no way you can still f- stay fat. I, I fucking don't know. But I, anyway, 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 Ron, my heart goes out to you. Read A Course in Weight Loss by Marianne Williamson. And just fucking Google Primal. It, there, there's no rocket science. And that's another excuse, by the way. I don't know how to read. Yeah, you do. Just fucking Google. Just get it done, Ron. Get 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 out from under this uh, uh, this cloud. Yeah, you, you just gotta fucking get your life, man. Sometimes the only way to get your life is just to pull your fucking pants up, your big boy pants, and get your life. That's it. You just gotta pull it up. You gotta suck it up, man. Unfortunately, as an adult. All right, I gotta go. I gotta rescue my husband. He's watching our son alone right now. Maybe go to the country club today. You know, big day. Big day. Go to the mall. I got to buy some uh, makeup, buy some eyeliner. Uh, yeah, pretty exciting. Okay, guys, I have a great week, and um, I will see you. I won't see you. I'll see you on YouTube. You can watch the show on YouTube. Um, you can download it on iTunes, and uh, I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Two gentlemen listening. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.